Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. The NCAA tournament just never disappoints. It never disappoints. Even after a first round, which maybe you thought wasn't as exciting as past years, it gives you a weekend like this. Welcome to the Screen the Screener podcast where we talk all things NCAA basketball with you. I am Mike Randall sitting with my illustrious partner, Gus Kearns. Gus Kearns, who did correctly predict that number eight Wisconsin would beat number one Villanova. How you doing, my friend? Uh, thank you, Michael. But let, let, let's be realistic here. And I think we need to be realistic to the listeners. The rest of the bracket is in shambles as far as Gus Kearns is concerned. Uh, we picked SMU, long gone. Florida State to go far, long gone. Louisville to go to the Final Four, long gone. Nevada to be our upset special, long gone. You know what we're going to call this? We're going to call this hashtag blind squirrel. That's what we're going to call this Wisconsin call. We are knee deep in the Sweet 16, and we're hoping to give you a little rundown on everything that's happened and a slight, slight preview on what we see moving forward. We aim to improve that commute to and fro on your Monday or Tuesday. Hopefully you guys can get over that, like, no game hangover for a couple of days. Hopefully we're helping that. Uh, we thank you for plugging us into your headphones, uh, into your earbuds. And we just wanted to say ahoy out there at DJ red 25. Keep doing your thing, my man. And we want to say ahoy out there at Philip marks 87. So glad you guys are tuning in. Thank you for choosing the screen, the screener podcast as your, as your college basketball podcast. And we have to explain to the listeners, Gus, the changes that have been occurring on our graphic and occurring to the podcast. You may have heard uh, an advertisement as we came in here. It's very exciting. Uh, we have officially partnered with Blog Talk Radio. Jay Soderberg, the head of content over at Blog Talk Radio, used to be at ESPN, uh, known in the podcast world as Pod Vader. Uh, can be found on Twitter at uh, Real Pod Vader. Uh, contacted us and said that he wanted us to join his team. And so we were honored. Just a great guy, great bunch of people, Blog Talk Radio. They've been phenomenal. So we've officially slid over to their hosting site. We are coming through Blog Talk Radio. You can still find us on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. Of course, same Twitter handle. But we got a really cool new graphic, which they helped design. And we're now over at Blog Talk Radio. So folks, if you hear some changes with the podcast, you see the new graphic, have no fear. Gus and Mike are still here, but we are honored to be a part of Jay Soderberg and the whole group of Blog Talk Radio. We're thrilled. And this only happened because you guys pay attention. You guys listen. You've rated us on iTunes and gotten us to a point where we get in the ears of some people that really you know, are doing some big things in the podcast industry. So thank you to the listeners and just want to explain, Gus, what we're doing here. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, kudos to all the people at Blog Talk Radio. They've been so helpful with helping us make the transition from, you know, I don't know, like a vagabond, a vagabond college basketball podcast to someplace with some validity. So thank you so much to the support team over there. Everybody there has been so helpful and so kind. Uh, big shout out to Jay. Uh, it was really cool that he put his ears on what we're trying to do. The same thing that you listeners do every single time that uh, we put a podcast out for you guys. Um, so I echo what Mike uh, just voiced out that we just want to say thank you to the listeners that have supported us from, you know, podcast one all the way back with Connor Frankamp. And 
seeing the ride all the way through. And you know what? We're going to keep doing what we're doing. Uh, so hang on for the extra bells and whistles. And don't worry. Things won't change that much. Mike and I will still try to be entertaining. We'll still try to bring you content. We'll still try to give you metrics. We'll still try to give you stats. We'll still try to give you thoughts on what we see every single round, every single game, and every single thing that we take put our eyes on. We just want to pass it along to you guys. So don't worry. Not much will change. Not much will change at all, but we're honored. We're thrilled. The podcast is gaining steam at just the right time. And, and Gus, so here we go. This is podcast 51 officially, my friend. I can't believe this. I mean, gosh, can you think we'll be a year from now? Half but, a century? Are you kidding me? That's crazy. Half a century. But you know what? We did our Thursday podcast. We did our picks, the whole thing. I guess what we should do here for listeners, before we get into the incredible, incredible, thrilling weekend action, let's just do a, a quick react to Friday. Let, let's talk about some things that happened in the Friday games there, the whole slate of 16, and, and what are some things that jumped out at you, uh, which occurred on Friday at the at the NC games at the end of the first round? Okay, so if we're going to take a look at Friday, I think the first thing that jumps out to you is the SMU game. Are, are we are we in agreement there? Does that sound okay? hundred uh, percent. I mean... Mike and I warned everybody that one of these playing teams was going to get hot and just ride a game or two here, and USC was that team. And we went against our own logic here, or at least I did, uh, against our own logic of one of these playing game teams is going to get really hot and then pull an upset and then ride it another game at least. We loved SMU coming in. We loved that they had uh, multiple players that can guard multiple positions on the defensive end. And man, you know what? USC just matched them talent for talent. And you know what? USC played down to their speed, which was really impressive, and was able to out-execute them at the end of the game. So a little piece of my bracket just went to the wayside once that game went went final. But you know what? I think that game is why we all love what we're talking exactly about and right. what you guys are listening about right so now. So true. That, that, game, that SMU game, Gus, was really unbelievable. That game. Here's the thing. So we knew USC after getting that win, after getting that win against Providence in in the first game. Which, by the way, they were losing big time for most of that game and had a, a huge comeback. So we talked about the playing game. It's just that both of us, if you've listened to the podcast, you understand this. Gus and I both loved SMU and Cincinnati the whole year. So it's very difficult for us to pick against them. Did I think USC would play well? Sure, Gus. Did, did I think that? Uh, you know they were they were down for pretty much most of the first half. I mean the score was like SMU up thirty two twenty four, then SMU up thirty five twenty eight. So you're really not worried, right? And then all of a sudden it becomes you know, SMU they tie it, but then you know ten minutes left SMU up nine a uh, fifty forty one. So I felt like they lulled us into just not thinking they're going to lose. And by the way, kudos to your call with Semi Ojale months ago. I mean, we're going back to December here, man, maybe even earlier. Well, you're talking about how good this guy was. He was the best player on the floor by a landslide. He's an NBA player, so good. And then all of a sudden they made those shots. And the one thing I want to throw out there, Gus, I want to get your thoughts on it. So at the end of the game, Gus, Ben Moore there's a foul on Jonah Matthews. Ben Moore goes to the line, and there's one of these conferences, and I'm a little sick of the conferences. I, I Listen, I mm. know you're not going to find anyone who defends the officials more than me. I think people blame them too quickly. They start yelling at them. The problem is you have to see the situation. We don't need a conference then. Everything's fine. He's got to shoot a free throw. He's not a great free throw shooter. We're going to the clock to see the time or who the ball's off of. Guys, you got to see the moment. And unless you're going to the line to see who the shooter is, you cannot do that. I'm sorry. And it, it may have cost them. It froze them a little bit. 
Uh, Shake Milton did as best as he could to try to get him back in with some threes. But, Gus, this was a heart-wrenching loss because SMU had control the entire game, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, USC takes it over. And like you said, I guess that's why we love the tournament. And Shake had a great look last second to go ahead and take the lead, and he just came up a little bit short on that little floater that he likes to shoot. It's I feel like that's like a very Scoochie Smith-type shot that he shoots in the lane, and there's too much length from UNC I mean, I'm sorry, from uh, USC in the lane to defend that for it to be true. And, yeah, again, this is one of those games where you're like, all right, we officially have the tournament starting. We have an upset. Let's go. Exactly right. Okay, Mike, let's also take a look at the game that everybody was talking about and obviously take the over on this game. Let's take a look at number 10, Oklahoma State falling to now a sweet 16 bound. Number seven, Michigan, 92-91. to 91. Can we take a look, Gus, at the three-pointer that Evans made at the end of the game, which meant you won and you covered? Sorry, I threw that in there. Look, that made a lot of people around the country oh, very you know happy. Oh, you know. Very happy. There, yeah, there were a lot of people that were like tearing up tickets or holding them up high and shaking them around like they won something. That was a – I mean, what else do you want from your, from your, uh, from your point guard – uh, you know, best player on the floor. You want him playing until the final buzzer, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, the fact that he nailed that—that—that that, that definitely disappointed or excited a whole bunch of people. Like, I, fe- I felt like the a, outcome of the game. I felt like Seinfeld. I go, Gus, instead of Newman. <laughs> Gus. Were, were you shaking your your fist in the I, air? Yeah, because I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, Michigan's going. It's great. I had them, and all of a sudden he goes for three. I go, those go in. Bang, Gus, Gus. So I think that. Let's just let's just give you some kudos here, right? You called this, I'm going to say, what, like three weeks ago? Maybe a month ago? You were talking about how, like, hey, Michigan, keep an eye on Michigan. They can make a run here. Keep an eye on Michigan. They look like they have the parts. And then you've – so as much as, like, I've gotten you on a couple of my bandwagons, I am fully on board now. I am the latest arrival to the Michigan Wolverine bandwagon. I am in. We, I mean, we, we talked about a little bit how we should keep an eye on Michigan after the – do you remember all the way back when they went out and went played uh, UCLA and they put up 50 in the first half and they went ahead and played at that high pace of play even though they like to really slow it down? I feel like Michigan is like this amoeba. They can like morph to any style of play that is thrown out there. They have shooters and athletes to go ahead and play at a high pace. I'm just really impressed with Michigan and this game – started you know got me on the bandwagon once they won this game i was like okay mike randall's right here they go they're gonna make a run deep in the tournament again you know what's going to be our common theme here folks throughout the entire podcast in reference to the tournament what we love about this tournament is what can be so frustrating basically gus there are teams who have played well this whole year and are playing well in the tournament and there are teams that haven't played well and are playing well in the tournament But regardless, every team that we're going to talk about that advanced, at some point on this podcast, we made a reference to. And this is a prime example. You go back to the beginning podcast we talked about in the preseason with this Michigan Wolverine team. They have the schematic. And that's what I liked, Gus. They have a great coach. They have senior guards. They shoot the three well. Wagner inside is serviceable. They had everything that you need. And listen, there was time. P.S. P.S. 
he's more than serviceable at this point of the season. Oh, absolutely. And and yeah. and and you know, there were times they were good Gus and times they were bad and they had a good run and then they were on the bubble and then they got hot and then the plane skidded off and then they played in practice jerseys and then they won the Big 10 tournament. So really, it was just much like you knew SMU was going to be good, much like you knew Caleb Swanigan was going to be good, to me, this team was always dangerous. And if they shot the three well, they're going to be in every game. And lo and behold, that's what they're doing. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, I think they have an unbelievable shot against Oregon. I think they actually match up really well, especially with no Boucher against Oregon in the Sweet 16 matchup. I don't know why that wouldn't be a very close game throughout, unless something else like radical happens. They, they, they were just really impressive the whole entire way. And can we just give kudos to Oklahoma State? Oklahoma State played phenomenal. The fact that they were battling like Big Ten tournament win vibes and like the beeline thing. Like, so they were battling like giant unspoken elements here in this game. And they lost by one. And do, do you want to? Do, do we want to talk about like uh, uh, Coach Underwood? You totally do. Totally do. Uh, Listen, kind of just like me. Okay, thank you, everybody. Thank you for your service. I'm out of here. I'm I, going to I, Illinois. Here's the thing. Five years ago, Gus, you and I talked about this. I would be screaming at Brad Underwood. We can't do yeah. that. Okay, the guy ended up coaching, I think, at Western Kentucky years ago before he went to Stephen F. Austin. Uh, uh, Western, I'm sorry, Western Illinois before he went to Stephen F. Austin. Always dreamed of the Illinois job. I get it. He went there. They can't complain. He bridged a terrible Travis Ford team, okay, to all of a sudden got him to a point where they're pretty good, right? Um, yeah. And, they, and again, they were the number one ranked team offense efficiency in Ken Palm this season right. at so, one point, which is crazy. Yeah, so he did a good job. I will tell you this. What is the problem with Oklahoma State? You got Boone Pickens money. You can recruit out the yin-yang. You got a great football program. They support it down there. Who would not want that job? If I'm a college coach, I would be begging, please call me. You'll get paid. You can recruit. I know you're in the big self. I get it. But you know what? That's a very attractive job. Good job for Underwood. I don't think there's many jobs he would have left for, and that was certainly one of them. But yeah, you know what? Good for him. You capitalize, right? You got momentum. You did a great job. Good for him. You, you, you've mentioned this before. Money talks. If you're going to get your salary tripled and it's already seven digits – yeah, you don't even think about that. That's just like, okay, thank you very much. I'll move on. And case closed. Absolutely. Period. Uh, all right, Mike. Let's let's hit up another spot that we took uh, that we really enjoyed. I think we have to talk about the Michigan State Miami game. Oh, listen, you can go first because I'm just going to go off here. So you can go first, and I'll just sit back. You tell me when you want me to talk. Okay, fair enough. Um, so here's what I here's you called this. I think. It wasn't totally ill-advised. You called for the Miami win, and then you called for Miami going ahead and challenging Kansas because Michigan State has been so up and down. Uh, I feel like I kind of went the other way and said, you know, Izzo's actually going to get his his team together, and he's going to, like, rally them for one game and, and, and really fortify these freshmen and get them focused on in, on one particular game, one particular matchup. And they went ahead and win by 20. However, the one difference here, and I think you and I, you know, we, we kind of talked about this off air. Uh, 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 listeners, just, you know, we're going to lift the curtain a tiny bit for you guys. Uh, Mike and I do like talk off the air. Uh, I'm going to say very often, Mike, is that correct? We'd be lying if we said any other phrase there. <laughs> right, right, okay. So, so one of the things that we were talking about off air, you know, not for you guys, just, you know, we were actually talking about this with Dr. Tony a little bit, that Izzo is kind of taking that next step 
as like a top level coach. And we've seen Calipari take this step. We've seen Coach K actually take this step recently where they're going ahead and just letting the freshmen play a ton of minutes and not holding them back. We've seen Self take this step the last couple of years uh, you know, with Wiggins, uh, Embiid, and, and then this year with, uh, with Jackson. And this was like a little cameo for Izzo to go ahead and do that because he had kind of had the reins on with his freshmen. Uh, some of them were limited by injuries, especially uh, Bridges this year. Uh, so he, th- this game was kind of like that opportunity for Izzo to say like, Hey, I can do this too. You guys, you know, you guys are going to recruit these one and done guys, these, these, these freshmen that are going to be done in, in, in one year. And then they're going to go to the NBA. Guess what? I can do that too. And he totally proved that he can do this in this one little short window that he gave us again in this Miami game. So I think Miami was like totally out talented. I believe they were slightly, just slightly out coached. And I think the final score revealed like, like it, it revealed like how talented those freshmen are. It revealed how good of a coach Izzo is when he has time to dig into his guys and define roles. And I think it showed like the limitations for Miami and their roster, even though Laranega does a great job. And they do have talent on that with, you know, with Reed and Brown uh, and, and, and Jaquan, Lewis, uh, uh, Jaquan Newton, I'm sorry. They do have talent, but the Michigan State talent is at another level. And I think that game totally showed that very, very true colors. My partner, Gus, is much nicer than I am. He's a much better person than me. And certainly he will go to heaven before I will. And I just hope he'll put a good word in. Look, that's that's totally debatable. <laughs> and it's now time to take the gloves off. That was one of the most embarrassing, pitiful performances by an NCAA team in the last 15 years I've been watching this tournament. The idea, you want to say that Izzo outcoached Laranega? Thousand percent. The idea... He, he did, he did. The idea that this Michigan State team is more talented than Miami is absurd. This Michigan State team, who I watched all year, has been up and down. They almost didn't make the tournament. They finished the regular season losing three of four games. They lost at Illinois, who fired their coach. They lost at Maryland, who was in a terrible landslide. They beat Penn State, congratulations, and then lost to Minnesota in the tournament. They were 19-14, and 10-8 in the conference. Their team was decimated. The idea that he builds up the freshmen is 100% true, Izzo does. Nick Ward has developed all year long. He has done a great job with Nick Ward. Miles Bridges, when we get to our NBA draft preview, Gus should be the first pick in the draft. I'll say that till the cows come home. But you can't tell me Josh Langford and Cassius Winston and their 6.7 and 6.6 per games and Lou Rawls Nairn Jr., who, by the way, Gus, had three zeros in the last four games. You can't tell me that these were incredibly talented freshmen that were just peaking at the right time. Do you know what happened this game? Michigan State won it in the only way they could have. They came in and they outworked Miami. Miami has more talent. Miami has a really good coach. They were up 13 to nothing and they folded. They quit. Chokers. A terrible job. I'm not going to yell at a team that's a 15 seed, Gus, that doesn't win the game. They're not supposed to. This is an 8-9 game. And Miami team that beat UNC, Duke, and Virginia this year. 
All they had to do to win this game is play hard, and they didn't. That's an embarrassment for Larinaga. That's an embarrassment for those players and for that entire program. Kudos to Izzo. He got his team to play hard. Izzo magic. But the only thing in my mind that I saw this entire year, and oh, by the way, Aaron Harris is out. He was out the entire year for this game as well with an injury, is the only logic that I could have used to predict this game would have been Izzo magic. Because there's Langford wasn't hot coming into this game. Winston wasn't hot coming to this game. Lou Rawls, Nairn Jr. didn't have two points in three of the last four games. There is no argument I could make. And you did. You predicted it. Kudos to you. Well done. But I'm just frustrated because before this game, the only thing that would have maybe picked Michigan State would have been, well, I don't think Miami wants the game. They won't even try hard. They gave up. It was a pitiful performance. The, 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 the North K- Kentucky Norse had more heart than this team. Awful job. Terrible job. Kudos to Izzo. Listeners, that was awesome. <laughs> All right, Mike, let's hit, another, let's hit another game from that Friday slate. And I think this might be one of the last games that we talk about on the slate. How good was number 10 Wichita State versus number 7 Dayton? The game was phenomenal. The, the game the game is totally phenomenal. Go ahead. You go first. How, how, how good were both of these teams? They were both competing at the highest level. And then, you know, if we're going to go ahead and hit the fast forward button, we, we saw how high of a level that that game was because of the Wichita State-Kentucky game. If you're going to tell me that Dayton would have done much different in that game against Kentucky, I'm telling you're a big fat liar. And I'm going to point a finger at you and say na-na-na-na-boo-boo. Because... Either one of those teams would have given Kentucky all they could handle, and Wichita State exactly did. If you go ahead and look at this game with about three minutes to play, Dayton's actually up one, competing unbelievably well. And our guy, one of our fit, my my favorite college basketball player this particular season, Scoochie Smith, went absolutely bananas in this game and totally played his heart out. He played the Dayton way as, you know, Coach Miller would like to say, and had 25 points, four assists, four steals, bunch of boards. Guy was out of control. What they needed is they needed a little bit more from Cook. Cook is their leading scorer. Cook went one for 10. And you know what that speaks to? That speaks to the defensive clamps that Wichita State can put on a particular player at any particular time. They'll throw McDuffie. They'll throw Zach Brown. They'll, sh- they'll throw Shamit. They'll throw Willis Jr., They'll, they'll, they'll throw Kelly. They have a whole, so many of those wing players that can go ahead and kind of do a couple of different things that Cook shot one for ten. If we go back and look at his box scores this entire season, do you want to know, like, do you think there's any other game where he shot that poorly? Absolutely not. I bet if we go back and look at his box scores, I bet there's like one or two games where he only scored single digits. So if we put Cook in, sing, in double digits, this is a pick em game at the buzzer instead of a 64-58 win for Wichita. You have to be unbelievably impressed by Landry Shamit, the freshman point guard for the Wichita State Shockers. He played really strong against Scucci here and held his own with 13 with 13 points, and he played out of his head against Kentucky. I'm really impressed with him. McDuffie played okay, but then... Everybody else pitched in. You know, Mini Shaq Morris had a bunch. Zach Brown had a few. Uh, Kelly had a few off the bench. Dayton just needed that other weapon to help out Scoochie Smith and Pollard. 
though the effort in this game i feel like came through the screen from both teams and if you saw that coach's handshake at the end of this game both of them were like i didn't want to play you I can't believe you won this game. That, that's exact. Like neither one of those coaches wanted to play each other, and both coaches knew that whoever won that game, like escaped that game. They didn't necessarily win that game. They escaped it. Uh, Mike, tell the listeners what you saw from this game because this game was like this. This is one of my favorite games I watched the whole entire weekend. In a first, in a in a opening round weekend, uh, opening round two days there that really were not that exciting. I mean, most of the games, in fact, we were all together on Thursday, Gus, and it was odd. I enjoyed it. It was always a great time, but I was waiting for the close game. I felt like nothing was close. Like the closest game we had on Thursday was Notre Dame-Princeton at the the 12 o'clock. Right. It was an early one, right. This game gave us everything we wanted. Michigan State's length and defense, and they are not a great offensive team. I mean, they they struggle. Wichita? Wichita, sorry. Shaq Morris inside. I mean, they just, they give you everything that they got. And we knew Dayton was dangerous. Gus, I feel like Dayton plays any other team. They win this game. Right. Any other team. Like, if if you're telling me they're going to play any other team seated in that range, like, how about anywhere from the seven, uh, six to 11 range? You're telling me you're not going to pick Dayton? Yeah, suppose they played Miami. Okay, moving exactly. on. So, uh, Dayton gave it everything they have. By the way, Vegas knows that the score was six, right? I mean, it was probably six-point spreads that we tied it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but really was a phenomenal game. Defensive intensity, shot-making. They they put the clamps on Shamit for the most part. He had a three there, had one three, which was big. Just a wonderful game all around. They should not have played each other. It was defensive intensity. It was big shot-making. The kids wanted it. They wanted to work hard. Both of them felt like they were live going against Kentucky, which we'll get to later. Certainly that was true. It was just an outstanding basketball game, and it's a travesty they put them against each other. Yeah, that again, we talked about how like the misseeding was not only going to hurt Wichita, but it was also going to hurt like who they were matched up against, but then also who they were going to play in the next round too. It, it just had like a the collateral damage – that occurred with the misseeding of Wichita State. Like, I think it was just mul- too many layers for them not to be, a, like, more accountable for them to uh, put them in the right place next year. I think there was too much collateral damage in the rest of the bracket uh, for them to put them out of 10. Just get it right next year, would you please? Uh, I, w- I would say, Gus, the only other thing I'll add that I saw, and then we can move on to the weekend games, yeah. is, and this is a little preview of what we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, is South Carolina at home got mm. down big to Marquette, and then came storming back. Don't underestimate the folks, the ability for somebody to say, hop on my shoulders. We'll call it the Danny Manning effect. And that's what Trayvon Blewett is doing with Xavier, and that is what uh-huh. Sindarius Thornwell is doing with, with South Carolina. We undersold, or maybe I undersold, the fact that this game was in South Carolina and their next round game was in South Carolina. But I was impressed by that because they were in trouble for a while, and that was shocking me, and all of a sudden they came storming back. So just want to give a shout-out there to to walking away from Friday. I don't know how you felt, Gus. I felt it's always great. It's like cold pizza. The tournament's always going to be great. But I really missed out on the close last-second finishes we just didn't have. But that's why, my friend, the weekend made up for it in a big way. It sure did. Hey, just a quick thought on South Carolina in general. Always love that karma evens out if you remember last year they were the one team that people kind of argued about that should have been put in that was left out uh uh, coach martin was unbelievably classy and really really exemplary in his acceptance of not getting into the tournament 
he obviously used that as a building block this whole entire offseason and this whole entire season. If you're going to model a motivation technique of any coach, everybody should go talk to Coach Martin. They were left out of this tournament a year ago with a decent resume. You can argue either way for them. Mike and I were kind of on the fence about it. If they were in, nobody would have argued. The fact that they were left out and people were arguing means maybe they should have been in. He went ahead and told his guys, we're going to focus on getting in, and then once we're in, we're just going to play really well. They did get the blessing of being placed in kind of a hometown pod. But hey, that's the luck of the draw. They were unlucky last year, so why not have the karma even out the luck this year? I have no problem with it. I think it's awesome that they went ahead and won that opening round game after being left out last year. Totally karmic universe is correct now. Great point. Karma gets you every time. Great, great point. So we're going to uh, jump out to uh, the Saturday games? Yeah, let's hit them, man. We'll just go one by one here. We'll give you a couple minutes on each game and give you a rundown. I mean, this was one, Gus, of the best weekends, second rounds that I've ever remember seeing. I mean, just classic games across the board. And, you know, so, I was... G- g- yeah, do you want to just like here's my just like my I guess general overarching uh, opinion on how this happened? Since we didn't have anything that was totally outrageous the first couple of days, that just meant that like every team that was going to be matched up over the weekend was probably going to be pretty evenly matched. Very good. Yes, very well said. Right? That's exactly it. Yep. So so we get a couple of these really cool matchups that we're looking forward to, and guess what? They, they totally hit the mark, and man, there were some really cool things that Mike and I will try to walk you through that hopefully that you guys saw too, and we can just kind of like spread a little bit more knowledge on uh, what you were viewing, and you'd be like, oh yeah, I did see that. That was awesome. Um, Mike, where, we, uh, where do you want to head first? Well, we're going to start with the one that we have to. We'll throw the bouquet your way. I'll do the intro, and then you can take off. We're going to yes, start, we're gonna start uh, on Saturday with number... Eight Wisconsin defeating number one Villanova 65-62. So this game, Gus, is fascinating. First of all, kudos to you. You got it right. Well done. I knew it was going to be close. I said that, but I just didn't think that Wisconsin was going to pull it off. And again, this goes back to the reoccurring thing, which I'll say, folks. Every one of these teams showed us something during the year. They all don't have to be hot to win coming into the tournament, but they have to have a storyline. And the storyline here, which Gus and I talked about, and Gus stuck, stuck in there with them, Nigel Hayes, Ethan Happ, Bronson Koenig, seniors. Bronson Koenig got hurt. Nigel, Nigel, Nigel Hayes disappeared. Ethan Happ was only a first half guy, but they can always step it up. We knew this was going to be a tough matchup. Butler beat him twice, Villanova. Virginia almost beat him in the same way in Villanova. And that's exactly what happened here. Gus, I will say this very quickly. Vito Brown, three threes, nine points in the first half. That was the difference because it kept them in the game. At halftime, they were up four. Without uh, Vito Brown doing what he does, they'd be a heck of a lot worse than that. He was carrying them. Then in the second half, not only did Ethan Happ get in foul trouble, Bronson Koenig got four fouls. Uh-huh. And when DiVin- DiVincenzo hit a three at the top of the key with about five minutes left and they went up seven, I thought the game was over. I thought it was done. That was it. It was exactly as I thought it was going to happen. But from that point, they were very tough inside. Hayes, Hap caught the ball on the block. No one wanted to foul. People were hesitant. Hart's drives to the basket were being slapped away. He was falling. 
Jenkins was totally useless. It makes you wonder how he was so open last year because he was horrific in this game. A weeble. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. He did nothing. I know Ochefu was solid last year, Gus, but I didn't think Darrell Reynolds was that much worse than him. He did nothing. They were one and done on the boards. And then the key play, 59-59, two minutes left. Bronson Koenig is throwing the ball in with about five seconds left on the shot clock. All Villanova has to do is get the stop and get the ball back. Koenig throws it in. He can't get it back. They let him get it back, and he bangs a three with like one second on the shot clock. That put him up three. That was the key play. They go down. Hayes made a great move with about 15 seconds left in a tie game. He did the old Gus move I used to do in high school where you dribble to the baseline. You spin back for a second. The guy relaxes. You spin back to the baseline. He made the layup. And Villanova then just couldn't do anything. Hart would drive into the the key and and, and Hayes would block him cleanly. So that was it. Great win for Wisconsin. Kudos to you, my friend. You called it. It was exactly as you said it would happen. So we like the one reason I like this game is because both teams uh, will play a slower, uh, slower pace, less possessions. Less possessions means less opportunities to score, but also means less opportunities for turnovers or mistakes. Who are you going to trust in a low possession game? You're going to trust Bronson Canning. You're going to trust Nigel Hayes. And at this point, you're absolutely going to trust uh, Ethan Happ. And you're correct. Vito Brown played a huge role in this in this game in the first half because Hap was pretty much on the bench for more than half of the first half. And so somebody had to step up and make a couple of buckets to keep him in range. Vito Brown did that. A couple other things here. Nigel Hayes answered the bell. He had 19 and 8. You have been calling for him to play like the All-American, like the All-First Ten, Big Ten player you want him to be. This is the game that he actually performed that exact way. Give him a couple more three throws. He's over 20 points. Ethan Happ was unbelievably efficient in the time that he was on the floor. Dude had 12 points, eight eight boards, three assists, two steals, two blocks. Guy was unbelievable. And like you mentioned, in the in-game situation, he was almost like a stone wall and came up with a bunch of defensive rebounds. But the guy was uh, Bronson Canning, like you mentioned, that big shot. By the way, he looks healthy, right? He's okay now. We talked about how Villanova was unbelievably efficient with shooting their twos, but maybe a little bit overly reliant on shooting their threes. They shot five for 17 here, 31%. But also, the killer, they shot 41% on their twos. You can live with 30% from three if you go ahead and shoot it at a high rate that they normally do, which is over 50% from two-point range. But if you're going to shoot at 40% from two-point range in a low-possession game that values buckets and values possessions, that's not going to get it done. Wisconsin shoots it over 50% from the field overall. And matches there similar, like 30-ish percent from three. And even shot it terrible from the fra- from the foul line, but the difference here was Wisconsin was just a better two point shooting team. So if we echo back to a couple of podcasts back where we got to talk to John Gassaway and he talked about the value of shooting two pointers efficiently in this particular tournament in the single single elimination tournament, Wisconsin followed the script, 
shot it straight from two, and well enough everywhere else. And they got some big plays from some senior leaders. What else do you want if you have a senior-laden team that's led by two incredible personalities like Caning and Hayes? I applaud them. I'm so happy they're in the Sweet 16. Um, and we can applaud Villanova at the same time, the defending champs. They gave us a great story all year. Um, I'm going to say I think Wisconsin's dangerous moving forward against anybody they're going to play. They should not get overlooked. They have play. They have three impact players on the floor at any time. Are they going to be the three best players on the floor at any time? No, but can any one of those three players make a difference on either end of the floor? Absolutely. Wisconsin moves on. Glad we got one of these right. Hashtag blind squirrel. Yeah, and you know, th- there's no reason, Gus, they can't make the Final Four. I mean, they can beat Florida. The bottom of that bracket now is Baylor and South Carolina. So there's no reason they can't win. And it's just funny. It reminds us for next year, folks. So next year when you're listening to us, hopefully we'll remember to say this. You don't have to necessarily – you're going to see snippets. There were snippets during the year where Wisconsin was really, really good, but there were only snippets. So it's not like every team that does well in the tournament, which is why we love it, is a team that's scalding hot at the time that the tournament begins. There are If you can come up with an argument, which Gus perfectly did, as to why Wisconsin can move forward a couple games, do it. They lost four of their last five in the regular season. They did not play well in the Big Ten tournament. Nigel Hayes was passive all year. Blah, blah, Bronson Koenig was injured. Blah, 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 blah. You know what? It doesn't matter. The potential was there. We knew it was. Koenig hit big shots last year. He beat Xavier. So you get snippets of all these teams. And the question is, was there a snippet that existed during the season in which you can justify in your head them moving forward? And certainly there was. And Gus nailed it. All right. I think the next place I'd love to go is can we please talk about Iowa State and Purdue? Yep. Okay. The reason I want to talk about Iowa State and Purdue is because our guy Matt was out there uh, on location and was shooting a couple texts and a couple of pictures. Uh, He was out in Milwaukee uh, taking in this matchup, and he said the Swanigan-Burton one-on-one matchup was absolutely massive. Unreal. In person. And can we just – did you see Burton's block on Swanigan yes. in the endgame situation? Uh, so so athletic. Yep. So here's my takeaway on this game, and then you can you can kind of go ahead and, and go off on uh, what you saw. But I'm going to tell you right now, that game right there, that just made Deontay Burton millions of dollars. He is going to get drafted. He is going to get a roster spot. That game just made – not that it didn't – that that, that was going to happen before – but I'm sure there are a whole bunch of NBA scouts in the stands taking a look at Swanigan, maybe at Haas, maybe even Vincent Edwards, and, of course, Monte Morris. But you know who they got a good look at? Big time in a big time situation. Burton showed out. He made threes. He battled Swanigan down the block, being totally undersized. He showed some great ball handling skills. He showed unbelievable hustle, which isn't always like a staple of his game. He just made millions of dollars in that game. That was really impressive. But the game itself was just out of control, competitive. It was nip and tuck the entire way. You know, minute 30 to go. This is a tie game. You got two of the best players in the nation on the floor with Monte Morris and Caleb Swanigan. As a college basketball fan, I can't believe that watching this game in person, like our guy Matt got to see out in uh, out in uh, Milwaukee, like, what else do you want as a, as a basketball fan? It doesn't have to be college basketball, just like a general basketball fan. Like, you're seeing future NBA players. You're seeing them play with something unbelievably crucial on the line. And you're getting to see it live in real time. And, like, you get to see that, 
that like authentic desperation that the only the NCAA tournament can create. There's a note like the Big 12 tournament can't create it. The Big 10 tournament can't create it. Um, one of those early season like tournaments like in the Bahamas can't create it. The only place you're going to get that type of desperation from the coaches, from the fan base, from the players, from the, the team managers is in the NCAA tournament. And you got to see that firsthand with this with this matchup with Purdue pulling it out 80 to 76. Unbelievably cool matchup. It was a phenomenal game. Purdue was up most of the entire game by a substantial margin. Iowa State came roaring back behind Morris and Burton. Purdue is dangerous. I give them credit. They're doing exactly what I thought they would. The beauty of Purdue is everyone does what they're supposed to do. Dakota Mathias shoots threes when he's open. They know to feed Swanigan. They look for Swanigan every single time. And what happened was Iowa State came back, roaring back with Burton and Morris. And Burton was exactly, he showed his great side and his bad side. He's a tremendous athlete. He rose right. to the challenge. He was taking Swanigan off the dribble. He was doing N1 mixtape moves, making Swanigan fall. He was all fired up. But then he decided to do a little too much at the end of the game. And I kept saying, they got to go back to Morris. They got to go back to Morris. And they didn't. They stayed with Burton. And you know why Purdue won this game, Gus? Because every time down the floor in the last three minutes, the ball went to Swanigan. Every time. Purdue shoots it too well. You cannot double Swanigan because they're wide open for three. But Swanigan touched it. Burton was playing him well. So Prohm said, you know what? We're going to play him straight up. And he stopped. He blocked Swanigan once and he stripped him once. But Swanigan came down and he did an up and under move. It was a great battle. But in the end, Purdue just did a little bit more. They did the fundamentals better. They took care of the basketball and they pulled out a great victory in a great game. Well done by Iowa State. Well done by Purdue. Burton kept him in the game, so you can't blame him. But once Deontay got away from Morris in the last two minutes there, it became Swanigan's show. Everyone feeds him. Great game all around. So can we just revisit Swanigan's line for a second just to just applaud him, salute him, cheers him? 20 points, 12 boards, 7 assists. When we did the preview for this particular matchup or, or uh, Iowa State in general, we called for a Monte Morris triple-double. You know who almost got it? It was almost Caleb Swanigan. Yep. Guy played out of his head. Guy was amazing. He's a beast. Love the way he's playing. They have a chance to beat anybody they are going to run into from here until this tournament ends. They are dangerous because of him and because of the level he's playing at. He is playing at the highest level of anybody in this tournament. There is nobody that's playing better than him in this tournament. There might be people that are playing as well. There might be people at his level, but there's certainly nobody that's playing better than Caleb Swanigan right now. Not at all. All right, Mike, where else do we need to go for this Friday matchup, uh, for the Saturday matchups that were just just a little bit more competitive, had a little bit more juice, had a little bit more drama, uh, brought us a little bit more excitement uh, on the slate than uh, the initial Thursday Friday, uh, the initial Thursday Friday games. Next big one, Gus, I think we got to talk about is Arizona and St. Mary's. All right. Okay. And I will give kudos to you again. You called this game was going to be close. We argued about it at the tavern that we were at on Thursday night. And yeah, that, that got heated with Dr. Tony, right? And it was close. And it, again, Gus, I'll go back to the snippet thing and then the floor is yours. What on earth would be the reason that St. Mary's, who wasn't even competitive 
against Gonzaga. And Jock Landell, who was a walking foul the entire season in any big moment against Eric Mika, against Shemek, just Mr. Foul, didn't foul, became Hakeem Olajuwon in the post against a very difficult matchup inside in Arizona, dominated pretty much, and failed to foul for 35 minutes. I just don't know where that would come. Again, I like St. Mary's. I had him to the Final Four preseason. Five seniors, Randy Bennett, tough conference, Gonzaga's good, the whole bit. But could I see some sort of domination at some point? Does every game that you play in conference for the most part have to be five points with about seven minutes left to go? But he did it, and he stepped up, and it was close, and they covered, but that's very deceiving because this game was a two-point game with like two minutes left to go. But Arizona, survive in advance. I'm exhausted. I think this goes back to one of your other statements about Arizona. I mean, you, you, one of the things you've been harping on all season, or at least later on in the season, after the UCLA game, was that Arizona doesn't blow anybody out. And that's true. And if we go back and look at the, the metric numbers and we pay attention to how these two teams play, uh, will Arizona run up and down when they can with a team like uh, USC or, uh, or UCLA? Sure. But would they prefer to play it at a slower pace where it's a little bit in the 70s maybe? Uh, where the val- where the possessions are valued and and Sean Miller can really enforce his defensive mindset on his team and on the game itself, absolutely. And St. Mary's plays right into that because St. Mary's plays like a super slowdown pace. They trust their five seniors. They trust their five seniors to make great decisions and take great shots late in the shot clock. Um, so to be honest, like the script of this game kind of played right into both things that you have been paying attention to all season. So you were kind of right on both things here, Mike Randall. You were right on St. Mary's being really good and undervalued. And you were also right on Arizona not blowing anybody out. So I think this game was right in your wheelhouse, if that makes sense at all. Yes, I'm just, uh, I'm just the guy, Gus, who when I jump off the Titanic, it starts plugging the leaks and it keeps sailing. So pretty much all you got to do is listen to me to start the year, wait till I give up on the team, and then hop right back on. That's all you got to do. Look, uh, I thought it was interesting, too, that Landell didn't find any foul trouble, especially with the multiple bigs that Arizona could run out. You know, they could run out Comanche. They could run out Ristic. They could run out Marketing. Um, you can even throw, like, you know, Raleigh Hawkins can play down in the post, too. Like, you know, throw that. So they have multiple options down there. And the fact that Landell stayed out of foul trouble and actually played really well and played two great tournament games was surprising, impressive. And I think to even some of the listeners out there, uh, according to like you know the tweet board that we had, you know people were already calling for uh, Jacques Landell to get into foul trouble in this Arizona game, and it just didn't happen, which is interesting. Look, St. Mary's is good, and I think this game just tells us like how good Arizona is. And if we can just can we just fast forward to this Gonzaga Arizona like collision course that we're on here to get to the Final Four, and one of these coaches like actually gets the monkey off their back where they say like, oh well, he's the best coach that's never been to the Final Four. Can we just give it to one of them already, and then like the the one the the other coach can get it next year? Is that fair? Like I want to see that game. I want to see the intensity in that game, and I want to see both of those coaches like have a moment in that particular game in the Elite Eight where they know like, wait a second, like this is really important for our program, my particular career, and these student athletes that are playing on the floor right now. And I'm going to do something completely different, and I'm going to pull out a total wild card that. You know, it was like maybe option F instead of option A, B, or C. 
and it really surprises. So I kind of want to see that opportunity for those two coaches to show how awesome they are. That's what I'm looking forward to. So tournament, just, you know, do your magic tournament and give us that matchup so we can see that coaching decision by either Coach Miller or Coach Few and then like applaud them and be like, I can't believe that, you know, Coach Miller or Coach Few pulled that out of this game and that was a deciding factor and he put his student athletes in an amazing position for success. Please, can we just hit the fast forward button for that? That'd be awesome. That'd be great. Uh, and then just a couple more quick us and then we'll turn our attention to Sunday. Yeah. Uh, West Virginia, Notre Dame. Uh, interesting game here. West Fascinating. Vir- if, West Virgin- if West Virginia shoots well, they can make the final four. It's that simple. But I feel very strongly, Gus, I think that West Virginia's shooting expertise will go dry against Gonzaga. That's why I will pick Gonzaga to beat West Virginia because yep. I just don't think they can shoot it this well. But Gus, if West Virginia shoots against Gonzaga as well as they shot in this game, that is going to be a tie ball game with three minutes left because they play great defense. They rebound inside. Huggins has them playing smart, but they have to make shots. I don't know if Phillip, I don't know. Uh, Javon Carter was incredible in this game. Issa he, Mod, he, was incredible. he was awesome. Isa Mods hitting mid-range shots. I just don't know if that's sustainable for them because they've always had a bonk game every once in a while. But Gus, they're playing really well. They're going to give Gonzaga a stiff test. You know, we used to think Gonzaga's road was easy. Folks, it's not easy. That was a tough game against Northwestern, which they survived against. They're going to have a tough game against West Virginia and potentially a tough game against Arizona. So this is not an easy road. But good win by West Virginia, Gus, over Notre Dame, who just was rattled by the press all game long. Yeah, we thought that like maybe the the two-guard, two-point guard guard alignment, maybe they throw Gibbs and uh, Farrell out there together to add another ball handler to help with the pressure that West Virginia brings every single game. That didn't happen. West Virginia has struggled to get shots. Beecham struggled to get open looks. I mean, Bonzi went off like he always does and found gaps in that press and found the openings that he always finds against, you know, he's always playing undersized in the post and he always goes for his and gets her his points. That's exactly what he did again. But he needed like a, he needed a Robin to his Batman and it wasn't there for Notre Dame. Here's a, you know, and if we're going to play like fortune teller and just take a quick peek, uh, you know, we'll get into this later on in the week, obviously, for the listeners and do a little preview. But if we are going to look at the Gonzaga West Virginia matchup, like right now, according to Ken Palm, Gonzaga is the number one adjusted defensive team in the nation. Like Gonzaga is. It's not Louisville, it's not South Carolina, it's not UVA. It's the Zags, and West Virginia is in the top ten as well. But you mentioned like I don't know if they're going to make their jumpers. If they're going to play the number one adjusted defensive rated team via Ken Palm, I think that speaks to them not making their jumpers. And then throw into the fact that Gonzaga is unbelievably efficient on offense as well, and Gonzaga can also throw out multiple point guards. They can throw out. Um, Nigel Williams-Goss, they can throw out Perkins, they can throw out uh, Melson. All three of those guys can handle the ball. Uh, Their bigs are good post-to-post passers. Uh, Tilly and Karnowski have great hands. Uh, Collins has great hands. Uh, Williams is like kind of a force inside. I can see him like, you know, circumventing uh, Ahmed inside. Like, so again, we'll get into this a little bit later, but if you're going to say, like, right off the bat, like, I don't know if they're going to make their, their jumpers. I don't think they are either. I, I don't think they are one single bit. Um, but do you, 
has Hugs made the Sweet 16 three out of the last six years? That may be true. Yeah. He's, he, he's a great coach. Can super we just applaud him as an unbelievable coach? Because, I mean, if we go ahead and look at the roster, like, is his roster filled with NBA players right now? I don't think so. Do you think so? Not at all. He gets them to play hard. They play together. They love him. They die for loose balls. They feed the hot hand. Really, this was a tough game to call, Gus, but this was an impressive win, a very underrated impressive win by West Virginia. Oh, absolutely. I think, I mean, if I go back and look at my broken bracket, I think I had Notre Dame moving on. And, like, I just thought that their their offensive efficiency and Bonzi Colson being the best player on the floor would, would take this game. And, and West Virginia totally proved it wrong. Really impressive win. I think they're going to be a little bit of an issue, but I do think that the matchup does not favor them moving forward, especially with Gonzaga's size and um, uh, defensive prowess. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I, I'm going to pick Gonzaga. I'll give you a spoiler. I'm going to, I'm going to pick Gonzaga. It depends on the points, but I think this is the challenge, right? Like, I don't know if Gonzaga's faced a team that's going to push up, up and down the floor, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. maybe they have in BYU. Uh, so... Who, do I think Gonzaga is going to win? Yes, I, I do. I'm going to pick them to win the game outright. I picked them in my bracket over West Virginia here. Uh, but if West Virginia is shooting their shots, Gus, and hitting their mid-range jumpers, this game's going to be a problem because they're going to make them run up and down the floor. Shemek's going to struggle inside. This could get a little frisky. It's a great test for Gonzaga. For those who are those who are Gonzaga haters, and I'm not. I am not a Gonzaga hater. But those people that are, this is a fair test, uh, and it's going to be a huge showdown. But I think it's a great game. Uh, honestly, I want West Virginia to hit their shots because I think it's a better game. Then, if they don't, Gonzaga could open this one up 15, 20 points. All right. The the last two things I think we should hit on here are like what, like what happened in that game? Virginia scored 39 points against Florida. I know I'm just putting the ball on the tee for you here, Mike Randall. You know what I'm going to say? You were right. Swing away. Go for it. I'm not one to brag, Gus, after after it's over. That's not my thing. Okay. Okay. This, what, this is what I'm going to say. London Parentis is a wonderful player. And He's incredible. He stepped up, and Tony Bennett made a fantastic adjust, adjustment against a live UNC Wilmington team. A UNC Wilmington team, Gus, that Charles Barkley turned when it was 24-11 and congratulated, I think, Clark Kellogg, and yeah. saying the game was over. So the curse of right. Barkley lives. But, Gus, this is the problem. Th- this is the problem. Like, they don't have enough offense in a, quote, freedom of motion season, right? Like, the slowdown teams have struggled over the last few years to do well. <clears throat> Virginia because of the freedom of motion problems. what Wisconsin has been the most successful team, but I would not say that they were necessarily a grinded team when you have Frank Kaminsky, who's the best post player in the country. You know, like, right. So you can be a grinded team, <clears throat> Purdue, when you have an inside player like that you know, and you can shoot the three well, but this team doesn't have that. And so it, does it surprise me, Gus, that I'm looking at their box score right now and Jack Salt had eight? Actually, that does surprise me. Uh, De- De- <laughs> I was going to say that. That's a lot for Jack. Devin Hall had six. Parentis had uh, Devin Hall had zero. Uh, Parentis had six. Thompson had six. Uh, Shayak had seven. Kyle Guy had zero. Ty Jerome had zero. No, it doesn't surprise me. It, it doesn't right. surprise me because it was inevitable. But again, Tony Bennett, you've done a wonderful job. Virginia, Parentis, you're a non-athlete. I'm sorry. Or you're not as good an athlete as some of these other guys. Okay. You've gotten the most out of your 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 ability. Kudos to them. They're not making the Sweet 16, Gus, when they had Malcolm Brogdon last year and couldn't get to the Final Four, who, by the way, is ripping up for the Bucks. So that's yeah. it. I'm not going to say more than that. Florida, Mike White, great job. Moving on. It just was, to me, this was inevitable. Um, 
I think some people are going to be surprised at how good Florida is. And I think they're going to say, whoa, I kind of haven't been paying attention to this team all year, and they're really good. I'm going to say that 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 Florida-Wisconsin game, I think that's going to be an awesome game. And I think the names attached to those games are going to bring a bunch of eyes to it. So I hope that everybody's seeing like the talent that's on the floor there, you know, with Allen and Hill and Robinson for, for and Barry uh, for Florida, and you know, like the, the we talked about uh, Hayes and, and Caning and, and Hap, and we even threw in Vito Brown for Wisconsin. That game's going to be sick. I'm totally looking forward to that game. And how about like the other game? Like what? What happened? Are you kidding me? Xavier 91, Florida State 66. Can we just can we just applaud? Trayvon Blewett, that guy is nasty. I mean, we mentioned that like Devonte Burton like went ahead and made made himself like millions of dollars in that game, uh, in the matchup against uh, Caleb Swanigan. Trayvon Blewett's doing the exact same thing in these past two games. His second halves in both of these games in the NCAA tournament have been completely insane and out of control. Each team has put like the clamps and the lockdowns on him, and maybe he's like kind of let the game come to him, as you like to say. But his second half in the first round and the second round was literally game changing. So Blewett has played almost at a Caleb Swanigan type level in this tournament, and he's been the difference maker for Xavier. And by the way, Xavier back in the Sweet 16. Doesn't it seem like they always find their way here? Even with the unbelievably debilitating injury to Sumner, their do-everything point guard, they were able to able to rally the troops. Coach Mack was able to refocus his team and be an unbelievably talented Florida State team with multiple NBA players on their roster. Like, what happened in this game? This is insane. I can't even believe this result, and I can't believe they put up 91 points. Congratulations to Coach Mack, the Musketeers, Xavier, and kudos to whatever he sold in the locker room. Much, you know, much like uh, uh, Coach Martin uh, using last year's uh, uh, omission from the tournament as a rallying cry this a whole entire season. Coach Mack must have done something after Sumner went down and they were trying to figure out what to do and what's right. Whatever he did. He should just bottle it up and sell it off to every other coach in the nation in not just basketball, but in every other sport. Great job, Coach Mack. Trayvon Blue is playing out of his head. Whoever's, whoever is going to ha- have Xavier to, to, to match up against, it's going to be an issue. Like, I, like, Do you think Alonzo Trier is really scared of matching up against uh, Trayvon Blue? He should be. Well, we like this team. Remember the beginning of the year we talked about the Big East, those top four teams, then Mo Watson goes down, then yeah. Edmund Sumner goes down, and now all of a sudden Villanova's out. But this is a great story for, for Xavier. So happy for Chris Mack. He's a wonderful coach. Trayvon Blewett is a man. He's showing his, his self now because he's got to take these shots. He's having a Danny Manning-esque situation. They can definitely beat Arizona, no doubt about it. Feel really good for them. Really love it for Xavier, for the people of Cincinnati as well. Cincinnati, unfortunately, lost tonight, but did have a nice run as well. So it's a feel-good story. Very happy for Trayvon Blewett. Anything else you want to hit on, or you just want to finish up with uh, today's action? Uh, Gonzaga was a big on Northwestern. Northwestern came all the way back. You know, Collins, they blew the shot. Can't get a tee there. Um, I also think, by the way, to be fair, Gus, if you're the official in those situations, you got to let Collins chirp a little bit. The action has gone in the other direction. 
Okay, the ball passed him. I don't think you should bang him with the tee. I just don't think you should bang him. You blew the call. The guy never erupts. He's not a guy who's screaming on the sideline. I just don't think he can do it in that situation. I don't. I think Gonzaga wins either way. I think Northwestern had mm-hmm. used so much energy, and Lumpkin ended up fouling out. But I just yeah. don't like the refs giving him a tee. They got to embark. Got to embark a little bit because you blew the call. Um, but that here, here, here's my two cents on that. Like, get the bigger picture. Get the bigger picture. Well said. Get the, big, get the bigger picture. The bigger picture is like Northwestern is this like amazing story. It's literally the story of the tournament. Yes, yes. Seriously. Let, let, let them play. Exactly. That's my let, point. Let, let the coach chirp a little bit. Let the kids play. Let them have their moment. You literally stole the moment from that team and that coach and that program and that fan base. That's it. Don't do it. Yeah, Don't, I agree. Like ha- have, have, like a, have like a wider eye and, and a keener lens and a wider view on what's happening around you. Like it's not about you. Go ahead and like let that slide, and then you can get in his face, like in the in the tunnel. That's exactly right. Like, yep. hey, you know, we let you slide on that one. Just know next time that's not going to be the case, and then you're cool. But don't don't take that moment from that kids, from those kids, and, and that program, yeah. and that fan base that have just been like so hungry and so enthusiastic, and literally. They are the story of this tournament in the first couple of rounds. Critical. It was a critical juncture. I think it was four points at that time. It should have been a goal 10 game in the ball. Maybe it was six. It would have been four. Yeah, it's t- terrible. I mean, it was a terrible call. T- Collins was totally right. Terrible call. Collins was right. But Gonzaga was up big in that game. So, I mean, I, I guess my own personal thing is I don't get too riled up on situations like that because, you know, Northwestern, you could have played better up until that point. Gonzaga was putting you apart. And if you need a call like that just to hang around to me, you know, sometimes you're not going to get it. But I would have liked the the play on there. Gonzaga, great job coming back. Teams are going to make runs in the 8-9 game. You had it dominated from the start. And then the only other game Gus talk about real quick, of course, is Butler, Middle Tennessee State. We yeah. love kudos to Kermit Davis. Great job by Middle Tennessee State. Unbelievable season by them. And and Butler, you were on them. Well well done by this. I think you had them going to the Sweet Sixteen here, losing to yeah, UNC. Yeah, again, blind squirrel. Go go with the go with the snippets. The snippet is Butler has been a team that has played well in big games, and I guess they view these games as big games and not teams that are beneath them, which they struggle with the Georgetowns, the St. Johns, and the and the uh, Indiana States of the world. So Butler is doing, taking care of business. They're playing UNC next round. Kermit Davis, Middle Tennessee State, great job as always. Uh, let's do Sunday, huh? Sunday yeah, fun day? How about the first place we go to? Let's just talk about Wichita State and Kentucky right away. Yep. Can we do that? Sure. Okay. You knew this game was going to go this way. You knew these coaches were going to coach that way. You knew these players knew coming in. You knew the you knew the, you knew the Wichita State program and players were thinking we can win this game, and you knew the Kentucky players were thinking we could lose this game. So that's like a really odd dynamic coming into the matchup where you have one team saying like we're gonna win this game, and the favorite, you know, on paper or by seed or maybe by uniform, but not necessarily by talent or achievement this particular year is saying like oh boy i'm a little i'm a little worried about this game and it 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 came down to exactly what you wanted to come down to was it like a last second buzzer beater no but was it just as exciting and just as dramatic absolutely the fact that you're going to have two defensive stands by a freshman laden team with a couple of seniors and juniors hanging around to kind of guide them the right way is really interesting. Are you going to have a coach that feels a little bit desperate with his team because he know he knows and feels like he has talent to win the whole thing, but he feels like he doesn't have a grasp on his own particular team and how they're going to execute in Coach Cal? Absolutely. 
And did you have a coach that felt like, I got something that nobody else knows about here with Coach Marshall and Landry Shamit at the point? I feel like you had all these cool dynamics working in this particular game, and it, it finished up and gave you exactly what you were hoping for. It gave you what you were hoping for on, on Friday or Thursday, right? It gave you that like classic game of two now storied programs that had already had a history of an amazing game uh, with when you know Wichita was the one and, and, and Kentucky was the eight and they got matched up and Wichita came into the came into the tournament undefeated and then and, and then Kentucky goes on this like final four run as an eight seed and now they match up again and and, and it's almost like the, the 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 scripts are flipped a little bit where Kentucky's the favorite and Wichita State's coming in as the underseeded team and, and and then it comes down to the wire again. What, what else do you want as a college basketball fan? It was absolutely unbelievably well-played game. Uh, was the pace a little slower than you were hoped? Yeah, but that's the way Wichita State is, is running things this year. Um, and we talked about how on the last couple of podcasts how Kentucky is kind of purposely slowing down their pace and, and, and trying to value their possessions and, and, and kind of you know man up a little bit on the defensive end. And that's exactly what they did in the final two possessions here. I thought this game was awesome. You felt so bad for Shamit. You know, when he had that shot blocked, the three attempt blocked uh, by Bam, and I think Hawkins was in there as well, you know, in the final seconds to, to, you know, to send the game to overtime. The kid played out of his head. He went for 20 points. He totally played Fox to a standstill as far as the freshman uh, point guard showdown goes. Look, this is the game that you wanted to see all tournament, and you totally got it here. I mean, Wichita State gave us possibly two of the best games of the whole entire tournament between their matchup with Dayton and their matchup with Kentucky. Again, we talked about how Wichita State getting seeded as a 10 doesn't necessarily just hurt them. It hurts the other team that they're playing. I think Kentucky got, like, the best test that it's going to get uh, in the first two rounds. I mean, obviously, if things, like, hold according to form – they're gonna go have to go ahead and and face like you know a balling out UCLA team and then like a U uh, a UNC team. It's not crazy that this might be the best team that they face in this run. That's what I'm saying. Wichita State could be the toughest test that Kentucky faces the next couple of games, which is crazy if you think about it as a ten seed. Yeah, the, the key for me was De'Aaron Fox. He was difference maker, changed the game. He could get to the basket whenever he wanted to. Monk is doing exactly what Monk has done since his early season explosions. He's not getting to the basket. He's trying to settle for three-pointers. He takes a crossover there outside, makes his and one mixtape tour move. And if you stay on him, which the Wichita State defenders do because they're disciplined Absolutely. and well-coached, he yep. can't do much. Bam is becoming better inside. His free throws are becoming better. Wichita State needed to control a pace of play here. Shaman, as John Gasway talked about, is amazing. He kept them in the game. He hit the big three. I thought the three he was fouled on at the end by Fox, which went in and out and could have been a four-point play, was massive. The mm-hmm. issue was Shamit was in foul trouble. Fox knew it. Give Calipari credit. He attacked Shamit. They were not going to leave on Bam and players like that. Derek Willis hit a couple threes, so they didn't want to leave him. And Fox finishes at the basket. The kid is going to be a great pro. He's going to be a better pro than Monk is. And he made big plays and won the game. So I give them all the credit. It was a wonderful ball game. Wichita State gave them everything they could handle. I didn't know who was going to win this game, which to me, is, to me, that the success, the games that I get excited about, which is why Gus was a little reserved on Thursday night. The games I get excited about, are the games where I don't know who's going to win late. I did not know who was going to win this game late, 
and that made me very excited. I was fired up for it. Huge win for Kentucky. We're going to see them in UCLA. The over under will be 3,000. Just a wonderful game. Kudos to, to Wichita State. They're limited offensively, and they found a way to win. Fran Camp got hurt. He came back. Just a wonderful ball game. Great game all around. Yeah, I, I hope Shamit comes back, and I hope he just dominates the Valley next year. And then, like, we have a cool moment with him and the Shockers next year in the tournament again. That'd be awesome. Um, how about we head to – oh, man, I, there's so many good games that happened today. Like, what, where else do you want to go to next? You want to go to the Michigan – you want to go to the first game today? Michigan upsetting number two Louisville? Yep, was all over it. Wrote about it for BT Powerhouse, uh, Michigan and Louisville. Feel good about this one, Gus. Going to toot my own horn here. It's exactly how I you thought should. the game was going to go down when I made the pick. Louisville is a team that has that offense that's bad sushi. We talked about it. Donovan Mitchell had a bad first game. I can't had, believe I fell prey to the bad sushi pick. Oh, man. And he, But listen, I, I mean, again, it's the snippet. The snippet we also talked about, which I mentioned being the year, is this is the tallest team Patino's ever had. So that's my point. Like, Louisville had been playing well. There was a snippet there that they could play well, they couldn't, and they didn't. Wisconsin had been playing poorly. There was a snippet there they could play well, and they did. And that's what you have to figure out is which one of those is going to project. Michigan is just scalding hot. They have seniors. You have the kid Robinson who comes off the bench. You have Walton and Irvin, of course. They shoot the three well. They've continued to shoot the three well the whole year. Uh, Wagner had a bad first game and a phenomenal second game. He that, was out of control in this game, and, and Wilson played amazing this game too. Yeah, when I was going over the article, it, it sort of hit me because I watched the whole game and I couldn't believe it. Three separate times, Gus, in the first six minutes of the second half, Louisville was up nine. Three separate times they got this lead to nine. Mitchell played great. This was the game. Snyder didn't play well, right? And Snyder played well in the first game. This is yep. the game. He had zero points. Snyder, I have no idea how it's even humanly possible. Probably Michigan, you know, having their guards play active defense had something to do with it. But Wagner got a second foul in the first half. By the way, reaching in at the end of the first half to try to make a steal at half court with four seconds left as the guy's dribbling up the court. Then they open it up to nine. Then Wagner took over. They fed him inside. They dribble penetrate. They they didn't shoot great from three. I forget what I wrote it with. I think they were like 33% from three of Michigan, which is below their 38% average on the year. But they were able to get in the gaps on Louisville, bounce pass to the post, feed Wagner. Wagner had eight points in the first five minutes, which kept them in the game. But after that, they clamped down on defense, one and done. They started playing better, you know, getting the rebound, kicking it out, finding the open man. Zach Irvin hit some short jumpers, and that was it. And the last part I'll mention is this, Gus. Last thing I put in the article, Michigan makes their free throws. All the time. They made five out of six, Gus, in the last two minutes of the game. And DJ Wilson made four free throws in the last 15 seconds. He when? made four three free throws. Four for four. And that was the key. He would catch the ball in the inbounds because they would deny Walton. And they would mm-hmm. deny Irvin. he catched the ball in the corner. He's tall enough. He chin it. They fouled him. And yeah, listen, and he, he's an 80%, 80-plus yep. percent shooter from the foul line. And uh, my brother-in-law and I were you know, kind of watching this game to and fro uh, earlier today. And he just, you know, he's a, you know, he's a basketball connoisseur. He, he, he looked at him and he's like, boy, that guy doesn't miss, huh? 
Yeah, and he didn't miss any of those four in the final 15 seconds. Bro, it was wasn't, even, wasn't even close. And they had the pass, which was really funny, actually. They tried to inbound the ball one time, and they bounced past it out of bounds into inbounds. Mm-hmm. So that was mm-hmm. turnover. Louisville with a couple strip steals at the end. They played hard, but that's what it was. They're going to give up shots, Louisville. You know, I wouldn't say, Gus, this was your typical Louisville team when forcing turnovers. I looked them up today. They weren't, like, as high as I thought they were. In the, no, in the country. no. 30, 38th or 45th, something like that. But Michigan has guards. They have guards. They have a big guy. Wagner must stay out of foul trouble for them to do well, by the way. Somebody's got to talk to him about that when they play Oregon next round. He can't get in foul trouble. But I will tell you this. This team is live. They can make the Final Four. They're dangerous. Everybody's yelling about the Big Ten. Not talking about the Big Ten anymore. We got Purdue left. We got Michigan left. We got Wisconsin left. So there ain't much to say about the Big Ten. Good win for Michigan. A great win for Michigan. And again, you were on this train early. So kudos to you, Mike Randall. You you said that this team has all the makings of a team that can make a run in the tournament, and here they go on their run, and we'll see how far this run goes. Uh, where should we hit next? Uh, I, I think we have to kind of talk about the Michigan State-Kansas game just for two seconds, even though the result of it wasn't that appealing. Yeah, here are my thoughts on this one. I, I had a friend of ours who called. Uh, it was actually uh, some of, one of our loyal listeners gave me a quick buzz, and, and, and I'll tell you this. I, got, I don't have much to say in this game. Well, Kansas won by 20. whoop de doo they beat a team that's not that good. They beat a team Michigan State that just plays hard. So to me, like, I don't know what the big deal is here. Everybody's talking about, oh, Kansas looks good. Based on what? They won their first round game. They let Michigan State hang around that has a terrible offense right now. There's pretty much Miles Bridges and no one else. They have a point guard who didn't score again for the entire game. They should have won this game by 20. So I don't think Kansas has been tested. It was a very nice game for Frank Mason, and Devontae Graham had some nice points, and Josh Jackson, of course, did Josh Jackson-like things, doing the Matrix, and Matrix Reloaded. But right. I don't think they've been tested. So in my mind, I don't have much to say about this game. You show me something against Purdue. You show me something against the winner of Oregon and Michigan. And, I'll, and, I'll, and that, you're going to be at home, by the way, Kansas in uh, Kansas City in that game, like you were against Michigan, like you were against VCU in all those years, right? So to me, Gus... I got nothing to say because I'm not going to wax nostalgic about a Kansas team that beat a Michigan State team that just works hard, which Miami couldn't do, but Kansas is certainly going to do. So I don't think they've been tested enough yet for me personally to, to make a conclusion on. Look, here, if obviously like Izzo couldn't do it two times in a row, his freshmen were definitely outclassed by Kansas's unbelievably disciplined and skilled backcourt with uh, Mason and Graham. Look, if we're going to play fortune teller here again, isn't it cool that we get to like imagine and like look into the crystal ball and like try to figure out what like Kansas is going to do with Caleb Swanigan? Like what in the world are they going to like they're not going to put Jackson on him. They're going to really like just put Lucas down there and like cross their fingers. And then at the same time, like what is what is Purdue going to do with this backcourt? Like, they are a little bit outclassed in the backcourt with Mason and Graham. So I think there's a couple of divergent elements that are included in this matchup that we're looking at next weekend that are really fascinating. And I think a lot of this game with Purdue and Kansas is going to come down to coaching decisions. I think early game coaching decisions and then adjustments throughout the game are going to define this game big time. So I think Coach Painter... You know, doesn't have that Final Four or that national championship. He does have a ton of Sweet 16s and a whole bunch of success at Purdue. But maybe this is where he makes the breakthrough. You know, we talked about, like, Coach Few and Coach Miller, like, not having their final. Maybe this is his opportunity. 
Like he always gets ignored in this conversation. I think he needs to get start. I think he needs to be a topic in that conversation now of like best coach that hasn't been to a final four and hasn't been uh, uh, to the championship game yet. Frank Mason has never gotten in foul trouble the entire season. So you're going to say that right now. So let's just throw that in as a possibility. Devontae Graham is very streaky. Let's throw that in as a possibility. And outside of that, I mean, if Josh Jackson is good, you know, I think he's, he's been more of an inside player now. I don't see him dropping 30. I could see him doing 22 and 10 or something like that. And Landon Lucas is going to have his hands filled with Caleb Swanigan, who never gets in foul trouble. So I'm going to tell you this. Against a poor Michigan State team that struggles offensively at the 12-18 mark on an Alvin Ellis III made layup, they were down 154-53, Michigan State was. This is what I'm telling you. Purdue's going to win this game. I'm going to say it right now. Purdue's going to win this game, and they're going to beat Kansas. Ooh. The reason I didn't pick Kansas, I didn't think they'd beat Miami. I certainly don't think they're going to beat Purdue. And even if by some stroke of faith they get by that game, I don't think they're beating Michigan, who I think is beating Oregon. So I know we all love Kansas. We have the no bench. We have the off-the-court problems. We have Frank Mason playing, playing perfect the entire year, and their weakness is inside, and here comes Biggie. That's all i got to say. Moving on. Wow. I love that little fortune teller segment there, Mike Randall. Very nicely played. We need to. We need. I think we need to bounce on uh, Oregon and Rhodey a little bit. Is that does that sound fair? Yeah. Uh, this this was a phenomenal game. Rhode Island is hot. Uh, the A10 champs were hot. They were not afraid. They had some bench help with a with a gentleman who came off the bench here, Robinson, I think it was, who's He's averaging. An in- Indiana transfer. Indiana, well, Indiana transfer averaging six points per game was on fire for most of the game. This was a very tough game that went back and forth down the stretch. You go ahead, and then I got a couple quick things to say in Oregon, but another fun last-second game on a big Tyler Dorsey three-pointer. How gutsy was that three-pointer? Because that was like a 25-footer that he took from the top of the key to win this game. Bang. So Rhode Island really reaped the benefits here of two transfers. They they had Iverson that kind of – he really matched up really well with Dylan Brooks and gave him issues on the defensive end. If we go ahead and look at Dylan Brooks's like box score, Dylan Brooks shot well under 50% from the field. He left a number of layups that were a little bit short. I think a lot of that had to do with uh, Karan Iverson's uh, defensive efforts, the uh, transfer from Memphis. And then Robinson's input off of the bench with a, you know, with a team high 21 points for, for Rhode Island was unbelievably impactful as well. He's a transfer from Indiana. So the fact that like Rhode Island had these high major players come in and play a gigantic factor in this game was unbelievable. You know what? You know who really let them down? You know who really needed to have an impact on this game and then this game would absolutely flip and result is the defensive player of the year from the A-10, Martin. Martin gave them zero points and zero rebounds in this game. Zero and zero from a highly impact player from the A-10. He got in foul trouble. Coach took him out of the game early. And he just never came back and found his groove. If he could have had some sort of impact on this game, then we would have been championing uh, Rhode Island moving on to the Sweet 16 and pulling the big upset over the the, the battle-tested uh, Oregon Ducks. But kudos to Oregon. Sometimes on a championship run, you're going to run into one of these like crazy games where you have a player off the bench go bananas and there's nothing that you have schemed for it or planned for it. So maybe this is like maybe this is like I don't know, a little bit of uh, 
a little bit of fortune telling here that Oregon's going to go on this crazy run and make it to the final four and, and, and make a championship run because they had this like game that was, they had lost. This game was lost with two minutes to go and they somehow pulled it out with an unbelievable gutsy play by Tyler Dorsey. By the way, he's playing a little bit out of his head as well. Put him on the Trayvon Blewett, Caleb Swanigan level as far as who's playing the best in this tournament. All three of those guys can be in the same category. All three of those guys are just playing out of their heads. Really impressed with all their play. Uh, and, uh, and kudos to Dana Altman doing a fantastic job. They oh. lost Chris Boucher. And the guy I put out on Twitter that people have to worry about is Cavell Bigby Williams. He's a 6'11 junior from England. He is the guy who's going to get the majority of the minutes. He hasn't played much this year, but he's he's rounding into form here. He played 13 minutes in this game. Benson comes off the bench. They even let freshman Kevin Smith, who's 6'7 from Seattle, Washington, play a little yeah. bit. That's what they're going to have to do. This was a good win for Oregon, a, re- a great win, in fact. J- Jordan Bell didn't give them much inside, only had six points. Brooks was in foul trouble. He got a silly technical in the first half, so mm-hmm. he really struggled. Innes didn't necessarily have a great game. This team can make the Final Four, Gus. They can beat Michigan. They can beat the winner, Purdue, and 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 Kansas. I'll tell you right now, they just have to stay out of foul trouble. Jordan Bell's got to give them a little more, and the key is Bigby Williams. Can he give them six points and six rebounds off the bench in Boucher's minutes? If he does that, they can get to the Final Four. Uh, let's head to the scare that North Carolina had against Arkansas with about two minutes to go. Arkansas is actually up in this game by two or three. And then a couple of breaks go North Carolina's way, whether it be on an inbound call or a foul call. And they actually pull out the game 72 65 over a very live Mike Anderson, Arkansas Razorback squad. This game was paid, played at a little bit slower pace that North Carolina would like. And I felt like the the dif- defensive uh, intensity that Arkansas played with in the second half really had an impact on North Carolina on the offensive end. And they forced a number of turnovers, got North Carolina out of their offensive sets, and really disrupted the secondary break with uh, tossing it into the bigs that are running down to the post uh, that North Carolina always likes to go to uh, with Hicks and Meeks and Bradley and May, and they I feel like they really disrupted that, and this game just pulled out. So we can file this North Carolina win in the same category as the Oregon win, as maybe, you know, maybe a team needs to have this test and pull out a game that they actually had lost with two minutes to go to go on a championship run. I don't think it would be crazy if North Carolina and, and Oregon – uh, met in the Final Four to play for to the rights to go to the championship game. Well, well said, my friend. This game had it. It's the point at which I think the favorite can lose, and it occurred. It occurred at sixty-five, sixty, when Jalen Barford yep. made a layup with three thirty-one left. Gus, I was worried. This would have flabbergasted me as much as I was sure Miami was going to be Michigan State. That is nothing compared to me being positive UNC's going to the lead eight. Wasn't even a question in my mind. No. This would I have this totally would agree. have totally agreed. This would have stunned me. They held Arkansas scoreless for the final three minutes and thirty one seconds. They didn't score. Arkansas didn't score for the last three thirty one of the game. Big shots inside. Gritty win. That's what you do in these one verse eight nine games, Gus, and that's what UNC did. Here's my final thought on this game. Be advised, Butler, look out for Tony Bradley. The dude played like kind of the best player on the floor in the first half and then ran into a bit of foul trouble in the second half. And, of course, you're going to play Meeks and Kennedy 
you know, in the end game situation. But if Bradley's going to play at that high a level down in the post for them, look out. They have three monster post players that they can toss the ball into at any time. I think it'd be pretty cool to see UNC's bigs versus Gonzaga's bigs. And I'll say this, Gus. There ain't no chance in heck Butler's beating UNC. Zero. Absolutely none. No chance. UNC scare was here. UNC by 20. Moving on. Look, Chris Holtman's going to scheme something out, but um, I'm kind of with you on that one. Uh, Mike Reynolds, you just want to do quick hitters on the last couple of games. Uh, UCLA does pull out a late win over Cincinnati. Cincinnati was live this whole entire game. Uh, they did play them tough. They uh, UCLA did hold another opponent under 80 points, in this case under 70 points. Uh, UCLA wins 79-67. Uh, any quick thoughts on UCLA moving forward, or do you just think this was like, uh, yeah, I kind of thought they would win by about 10. Great job by Cincinnati. Did a real real good job. I thought there was a good chance of an upset here. Here's the key. Lonzo Ball kills help and recover defenses. He was penetrating the oh. lane, waiting for them to collapse and kicking out. The guy is a special player. I was in an argument on Twitter. I still feel Caleb Swanigan is more valuable than Lonzo Ball because UCLA was in the tournament two years ago. Swanigan's on the team. I just think he makes a bigger impact. But Lonzo Ball made a massive impact on this game, just as big as Swanigan did in Iowa State. He got in the, he got in the gaps. He's worth 15 points, all this stuff. He penetrated and was able to kick out and find shooters and single-handedly took the game over. That's what happened. Lonzo Ball kills helping recover defenses. And if we're going to talk about help and recover defenses, like that's that's what we're looking at with Cincinnati. Cincinnati is an unbelievably well-schooled defensive team. Uh, we always talk about how they're always hard on the defensive end. They always play the game at their pace. And this pace, uh, the, and Cincinnati won the game. Uh, I'm sorry, UCLA won this particular game at Cincinnati's pace, which I think is the most impressive part about their win. And then I think we have to finish off the podcast with congratulations to South Carolina. Yep, South Carolina. And here's the thing. This is another snippet one. I was busted on Duke all year long. Didn't have a point guard. Didn't have a bench. The whole thing. I think Harry Giles was sick for this game. I don't even know if he played. But they got hot. And Kennard got hot. And then all of a sudden, what happened? The snippet that came forward is the struggling team. They had to play South Carolina in South Carolina in a night game, which I think made a difference. And oh, by the way, they ran into Mr. Thornwell, who is, in fact, the person with the most points in the tournament right now. He has 63. and that's dude, is, dude is insane. Insane. And, and that's what happened. And Grayson Allen had a good game. Kennard got in foul trouble. They had athletes to match up with Tatum. It was a predictable result in some ways, but not predictable because Duke was hot, so we thought they would continue. So how about that? Everybody talked about Villanova, Duke, Gus. We're not getting either one going to New York. And you know what? I think when we were predicting our brackets, we felt like like the East bracket was the bracket that was going to blow up and go bananas and like go way off script. And so we both tried to pick like these not crazy picks, but like something that would be you know make sense and you know SMU obviously didn't make sense this particular year. So I think it's okay that we identified that bracket as the bracket that would go bananas and go crazy. Well, I, I actually, to ooh, me, ooh, the, ooh, yeah, to ooh, me, ooh, the blo- to me, the blow up bracket was the Midwest. That's the one I still think was the blow up bracket. I, I actually went chalk here. I had Villanova Duke one versus two. I, right. I was smoky chalk. <laughs> but uh, it, it's cool that like you know Wisconsin and Florida and uh, you know now South Carolina or you know it's cool that we have like the, you know, the nondescript teams and, and the teams that you, you wouldn't normally pick, you know, you don't have your ones versus twos right away. So 
Uh, I can't wait to watch those matchups in that particular bracket moving forward. Uh, Mike Randall, anything else you want to say to the listeners? Listeners, thank you so much for listening to our breakdown, and we hope that we kind of fill the gap and and fill your um, uh, college basketball tournament uh, detox while there's no games to watch. I hope we can fill that time for you a little bit. But, uh, Mike Randall, anything for the listeners out there? Yeah, long one tonight, guys, but a lot of information going on. We had to come back and bring this to you. We'll be back at the regular time this week. We'll give you a rundown, maybe a Tuesday night or something like that, or Wednesday night, one or the other, where we give you a breakdown of the games going into the Sweet 16. This is the most exciting weekend of the year. Gosh, I'm still fired up, Gus. It's going to be a great Sweet 16, but so much great action. This weekend was phenomenal. Just thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. So we've gotten to the point where we're on Block Talk Radio now. It's a great time. We're fired up. We love doing this. We get more momentum. I just want to come back here and talk to you more and more each time. So thanks, everybody. Uh, absolutely. Thank you, listeners. Uh, quick thank you to the tech department for working this all out with Blog Talk Radio. Unbelievable job out of them. Thank you, technology department. Technology. This could be Gonzaga's year. Yeah, I'd like to hear that technology department. Thank you. We want to say thank you to Belljar. Thanks for bringing us in and out. So glad that more people are getting their ears on Belljar. If you want to check them out, check them out. The further catalog on iTunes or CD Baby. And uh, listeners, we'll catch you later on this week. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Mm-hmm.